Hello, welcome to our Lighthouse podcast. We hope that this message brings inspiration and intent to your day. I'm glad that you're here today. Uh, the idea of reconciliation is an important one. In fact, we're uh, focused just briefly today on um, NADOC. But actually, the idea of reconciliation is actually a thread, or if you've often heard me speak, uh, I will talk about veins in the Bible. There's veins in the Bible of things. Um, things aren't just true or right simply because God says do this or don't do that. Things are true often in the Bible because God consistently talks about them from Old Testament to New Testament. Sometimes when you're wondering about right or wrong, what's right or wrong, you don't just need to find a scripture that proves what is right or wrong. What you need to find is what does God consistently say from Old Testament to New Testament. That's how we understand how God works. And actually, reconciliation is one of those veins that actually God uh, not only reconciled us to him, but also requires and wants us to do the same. And I want to talk about it today because I think more than ever, we live in a culture where essentially the rule of thumb is if somebody upsets you or does, or does something you don't like, we just cancel them out. And while I think uh, making boundaries on your social media when you don't like what somebody says and you, you, know, you, you decide to unfollow them, I think boundaries are healthy. What I don't think is healthy is uh, creating a world whereby when you are uh, uh, upset or disturbed by somebody, you cut them off completely. Reconciliation uh, is more than forgiveness. Uh, I think for reconciliation, let me read this to you. It's about change or exchange. Reconciliation involves a change of relationship between God and us humans or between groups of people as well. So it's not just God and us. It assumes that there's been a breakdown in a relationship, but now there's been a change from a state of enmity and fragmentation to one of harmony and fellowship. The Bible says this, 2 Corinthians 5.18, and all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ, and God has given us the task of reconciling people to him. Reconciliation. You know, if I say to you today, we often focus on forgiveness, and forgiveness is important, and the great thing about forgiveness is you don't always need the other person, the person who hurt you or the person who upset you. You don't always need them to make amends or own up or ask for forgiveness themselves for you to forgive. That's the great thing about forgiveness. You can forgive somebody even if that relationship is ended or you don't have anything to do with them. But there's a step further that God also calls us to, and that is reconciliation. That is where both parties agree. The person that offended, the person that hurt, says, I acknowledge I did something wrong. And I hurt you, upset you. And because I acknowledge it, I want us to reconcile. I want us to have an exchange in a way that we can forgive each other and to live in harmony and fellowship. The reason why God wants us to do that is because it's exactly what he did for us. It's exactly what he did for us. And it's a two-way relationship. We acknowledge God. We acknowledge that we have sinned. We acknowledge that we, through our own actions, have fallen out of relationship with God. And God, we own that side of it, but you have extended outrageous love to us. You have extended grace to us. And you, God, have reconciled us to you. And the key to all relationships, by the way, is the ability to reconcile. Your marriage 
won't survive unless you learn what reconciliation is. It's required of you and I in order for those relationships to flourish. Today, I want to use a well-known story, if you like, a true story in the Bible. For those of you that did kids' church, you would have focused on this many, many times. But I want to use it because, to me, it draws out some really key things about how to reconcile, how to live healthily in the relationship that you have. And I want to read about Joseph, the story of Joseph, who, of course, was a bit of a spoiled brat and, uh, you know, revealed his dream pretty early and got himself in some serious trouble with his brothers. In Genesis 50, you can follow along, be on the screen or uh, look it up yourself. It says this, But now that their father was dead, Joseph's brothers became fearful. Now Joseph will show his anger and pay us back for all the wrong that we did to him, they said. And so they sent this message to Joseph. Before your father died, he instructed us to say to you, please forgive your brothers for the great wrong they did to you, for their sin for their sin in treating you so cruelly. So we, the servants of God, of your father, beg you to forgive our sin. And when Joseph received the message, he broke down and wept. And then his brothers came and threw themselves down before Joseph. Look, we are your slaves, they said. But Joseph replied, don't be afraid of me. Am I God that I can punish you? You intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. He brought me to this position so I could save the lives of many people. Now, don't be afraid. I will continue to take care of you and your children. So he reassured them by speaking kindly to them. Now, this story is legendary for a couple of reasons. Number one, we see a a teenage boy. If you don't know the story, let me give it to you real quick. We see a teenage boy who has a dream, by the way, of seeing his brothers bow down to him. Why don't you go and share that with your family? Why don't you share that with your siblings and see how that goes? Uh, This image of you, your brother, maybe you're sitting next to him, your sister, uh, at some point, hey, I've got good news, brother. One day you're going to bow down to me. I'm so excited for it. I can't wait till it happens, you know. And not only that, God said it. It wasn't just me. I didn't imagine it. God told me it would happen. And of course, very quickly, the brothers who were already, by the way, a little bit annoyed at little Joseph because he was dad's precious favorite. They're already annoyed. They get so mad, of course, that they go to throw him in a pit, hoping he would die. He doesn't. He gets rescued somewhat, turned into a slave for many, many years. Uh, long story short, he gets a little bit of elevation in his leadership. He does have some character. He gets elevated into position, uh, assistant to Potiphar, the leader of the nation. He looks over finance and administration. He gets accused of uh, having an affair, per se, with Potiphar's wife, wrongly accused, gets thrown into jail, spends many, many years there. He's in jail. He doesn't hear from God really hardly at all. He has a few dreams. Uh, he gets out of jail, and then because of a famine and the wise financial leader that he is, he'd been storing up, storing up food for the nation. And here we have Joseph's brothers who finally need to feed their family, and they come before Joseph not knowing it's Joseph, their brother. You've got to understand, I just shared a story that's about 42 years long. When they threw Joseph into the pit, he was about 13, and now he's 55. That's what I turned this week, by the way, 55. It's hard to believe somebody that looks so young could be 55. Is that what you were thinking? None of you were thinking that at all. And so he's 55, so all those years on, and they come before Joseph, they're scared. And if you've read the story, 
Joseph shows incredible mercy towards his brothers. And the reconciliation, that process begins. Not just forgiveness, not just I forgive you, you live your life, you live mine. But this idea that we want to have a relationship, it begins to brew and start again. And I want you to know that reconciliation is difficult. It's hard. It'd be nice for me to be able to say to you, if, you have to, if you're, God's calling you to reconcile to someone, if he wants you to do that, and at the end of this you feel that, then I want you to know it's not an easy thing to do because you have to deny some things that uh, people have done to you or you have to overlook them and you have to be willing to say, I'm prepared to work through the process. And here we are, the brothers before Joseph, and they're freaking out a bit because Joseph is now powerful. He's not the 13-year-old boy that they had in the pit. So they make up a story. I read it just then in verse 17. They, they got together and said, listen, man, we are so scared that Joseph is going to use his power to damage us, to destroy us, to mistreat us, to punish us, rightly so, for what he did. Let's make up a story because Joseph's dad has just died, Jacob. And they figure, well, Jacob's not around, so we can get around the idea that he might punish us. And they make up the story, let's go to Joseph and say, the very last thing your dad said before he died was, Joseph, whatever you do, be nice to your brothers. That's the story. Let's tell him that to be sure Joseph uh, loved and respected his dad, so he'll do what his dad would have said. And there he is, there they are, standing before Joseph, expecting something but to be saved by the lie that they bring again, another cruel act to speak on behalf of their father when he's not really speaking. And this is where I want to pick it up this morning. I know that was a fast, furious version uh, of that story. But I want to pick up because there's three verses to me teach us about what you need to do in order to be a reconciler. And can I, I just want to remind you again, it's so easy just to live like the rest of this world. But God said, actually, he's given you and I, if you're a Christ follower, he's given you and me the ministry of reconciliation. Like he's given it to us. He hasn't just given us a list of things, good, bad, be right and wrong, uh, just live out your life, do church on Sunday. He said, no, one of the key things I've given to you is that you, my Christ followers, you would be people who have a ministry or a role or a task to go into this world and reconcile not only people to God, but reconcile in the form of the relationships that you have. Practice reconciliation, God says, of us. And here's what we see in verse 9. There's three things, always three things, right? God never does four or two. He does three. There's three things that I think will help you be a reconciler. And in verse 19, I'll read it again. It says, but Joseph replied when they came before him, don't be afraid of me. Am I God that I can punish you? He's asking a question. Am I God that I can punish you? And the first key to be a reconciler is this. Joseph avoids God's seat. Joseph avoids God's seat. I've got one here behind me, God's seat. See, God's seat is the place where God gets to do judgment and God gets to bring uh, justice. 
And what Joseph did in this moment is he had the opportunity to sit in God's seat and say, how dare you treat me that way? And because you've treated this way, I have been for 42 years planning for this moment and I have a list of punishments that I'm going to give you. But he didn't do that. The first key to reconciliation is get out of God's seat. Get out. Get out of his seat. It's not your seat. It's God's seat. The first key to being a reconciler is don't sit in the seat of God. Leave God's seat to God. In, in, this, in the movement of flourishing relationships, I want you to know that your marriage will never flourish when you sit in God's seat. I want you to know your brothers and sisters, the ones you love, the ones you don't love, I don't know, good or bad, the relationship between your natural brothers and sisters, your spiritual family, none of it will flourish if you take the seat of God in the relationships. The reason why Joseph was able to move to the next step of reconciliation was he had the opportunity to sit in God's seat, but he chose not to. He chose not to sit in the seat of God. You know, this is at the center of every human problem we face. We all want to sit in God's seat. Not, not, just, not just in reconciliation, not just in human relationships. We, let me give you a few examples. We want, to, we want to sit in God's seat or we do sit in God's seat when we take ownership of moral authority. We sit in God's seat. You know, back in the garden, you remember it well, Adam and Eve, the first humans ever created. I always find this amazing. I mean, if you think the Bible's full of a bunch of rules and a bunch of things, how simple was it for Adam and Eve? This is what's going, this is Adam and Eve and the world God creates. God creates the world for them to live in. He says, Adam and Eve, you can do anything at all. You can do anything at all, but there's one thing you can't be a part of. Don't eat from the tree. Anything except one. Anything, one. Don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and of evil. So they hear that. It piques their attention. The serpent comes in, the snake, the devil, the Bible says. And he comes in and he says to them, you should definitely eat from the tree. You should. Because if you were to eat from the tree, you will be as God yourself. If you were to eat from the tree, you get to sit in the chair that only God sits in. You should do it. And so we know the story. Adam and Eve eat of the tree. The knowledge of good and evil. Here's a thought. If you and I decide what's right or wrong, rather than God's word, then you are putting yourself in the seat of God. It's not for us to decide what's right or wrong, particularly when it comes to morality. We take the seat of God. Have you, have you thought, just hold on to your seat for a moment, it's going to get edgy. Have you, do you have this thought sometimes? Like right now, do you say, oh, isn't it so good that God and I agree on morality. 
I'm so comfortable, I'm so glad that God's view is my view. If you have that thought, I'm going to suggest to you that you're sitting in God's seat. I'll tell you why. Because never before in my life history has the Bible's morality been in contrast to the world we live in. Never before. I've never seen the contrast of morality so diverse, so different to the Bible than this generation. And if you're saying how good is God's Word, it's exactly what I believe on morality, then I suggest to you that you're sitting in His seat. Because when you step away from it and you say, God, we, we, we don't want to eat of that tree constantly because we recognize you are the authority and we don't want to take your seat. And it's our job, it's actually not even our job to worry about right or wrong. Right or wrong is like a Pharisee approach to living. Here's how we're meant to live. Have a relationship with God, focus on it, and let him lead you into all truth. Let him lead you. And I find that whenever I take his seat, things don't go well. The world doesn't go well when it's ignored that there is a seat that God's meant to be sitting on. You know, another way that we, I guess, uh, take God's seat is when we look to people for all our needs. It becomes like an idolatry. You know, Annette and I, 34 years of marriage, uh, that's a long time, right? 34, thank you. Annette needs applause uh, and a medal uh, and a counsellor. And, uh, <laughs> and the, list goes, the list goes on. Uh, but you know one of the great keys, it might seem strange, you know one of the great keys we learned early on is is to not expect each other to supply all our needs. That's a dangerous scenario. Annette is incapable of supplying the needs for my life to which God is meant to. Because I trust Annette and she trusts me and we have put our lives into each other, but really at the end of the day, we're human. And, you know, if, you've, if you overinvest your life into someone or something, you're setting yourself up for a failure. You're setting yourself up for some hurt. This whole series that they're doing, you can count on God. You can count on God is to remind you, I don't want you to count on me. I don't want you to count on a building, a, a church. I don't want you to count on a certain person. I don't want you to count on your career. I don't want you to count. I want you to recognize that the only one you can count on for your whole life without fail is God himself. God is the one. God is the one. And you know the mistake, we can make the mistake like Joseph did. Because Joseph and God had to reconcile as well. Because when you're in a prison, when you thought you were going to be worshipped, when you're locked up, when you thought you're going to have an incredible, successful life, and you're going nowhere, and you don't hear from God, you can think that God's silence is his lack of care. But I want you to know that God does his best work in silence. God does his best work when he seems absent. God does his best because all that time he's working on your behalf. And I want you to know, don't make the mistake of quitting on God because you take his silence as absence. 
I said the other week, I'll say it again, God is slow, but he's often silent. He's not all the time, but he often feels that way. And one of the things you have to master if you want to follow Christ your whole life is A, that God is slower than what you like, and two, he's more silent sometimes than you wish he was. And you need him to speak, but he's not. And you need him to move, and it doesn't seem like he is. But it's in those moments that you can stay with God, and you have to reconcile the idea that every time God is silent and absent, he's not missing, he's working on your behalf. You know, we want something in this world to be it. You know, is that, that's it. You know, if I could just have that job, that's it. That person, if I could marry that person, that's it. The truth is there is no other it. God is it. And, you know, I, uh, that was a, off uh, TGIM TV, that video clip you saw. And one of the things I do all around the world is teach on, thank God it's Monday, you know that, and teaching churches how to think about community and how to think about church as a seven-day event, not a one-day, one-hour Sunday occasion. You know, everyone gets excited about it. I watch people get excited about it and they're buying the book and they're doing the course and, the, and, I, and I think I often have to apprehend that. I get nervous when, you know why I get nervous? I get nervous when Christians think this is it. I have to often tell, but I do my whole seminar, convince everybody that thank God it's Monday is awesome. And at the end of it, I have to say, I've got to remind you, I just want to be clear to you, this is not it. It can't be it. And if you invest all your life into this as a church leader or as a church pastor, this is it. You have to, listen, teachers are important. Thank God for teachers who give us education. Thank God for medical people who give, give us uh, cures and attention when we need it. Thank God for psychologists. Thank God for pastors who help us, all that sort of thing. But I want you to know that none of those are it. You can't ultimately count on it. I want you to know that the only way you can truly flourish in life is when you say to yourself, remind yourself, you can only count on God. You can only count on God. And yes, you'll need a teacher sometimes. Yes, you'll need a doctor. But ultimately, you'll need something from God that will bring you through. And when we overtrust in people and things, careers, finances, we take the seat of God. And Joseph was smart enough in reconciliation to say, it's not, who am I? Who am I to sit in that seat? I'm not, I'm not here to sit in that seat. I'm, I'm going to leave that seat to God. I think another way we take the seat of God is when we over-worry. When we believe something must, this is me by the way, I have an idea of when I think God should be doing something or when a miracle should happen or when God should show up. I have an idea. And when it doesn't, I start freaking out. And my lack of trust in God shows that I'm taking his seat. Okay, here's the second thought. The first thought when it comes to reconciliation, you can, I want you to hear it very clearly. You can never reconcile, ever, if you sit in this seat. It is impossible to repair a relationship if this, from this, view, this seat. Here's the second thing that happened that Joseph did. Let me read it, verse 20. You intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good, he said. He brought me to this position so I could save the lives of many. You ready for it? The second thing is this. So first one is uh, Joseph avoided God's seat. The second one is Joseph took God's view. 
Joseph took God's view. The Bible says in Isaiah 55 that God's thoughts and His ways are higher than our ways. I'm going to suggest to you that God's view is like standing on a mountain looking at the whole picture, but our view is often the valley view we feel swarmed by. We can't see up. All we can see is the hurt, the pain, what the person did, what they said, and we get stuck in the valley, but not God. He has a higher view of it. I have this term that I thought of this. I was trying to think of a better way to say it. I want to call it lolly Christianity. Candied Christianity. Lolly Christianity goes like this. Uh, when life is good, God must be good. But when life is bad, God is bad or absent. And I want you to know something. Joseph wasn't simply being positive when he made that statement to them. He wasn't simply uh, being clever, putting a spin on it when he said, hey, you intended it for harm, but God turned it into something good. That's not spin. Here's what he was doing. Because lolly Christianity is when you have this, it's really immature, this idea that uh, God is good, life will be good, life is good, God is good. When actually, here's what Joseph was saying. This is important. It's going to sound negative. Life is evil, but God's still good. Joseph was saying, listen, life sucks sometimes. Life doesn't dish up. What you did, boys, what you did, brothers, was absolutely evil. You tried to kill me. You threw me in the pit. You hoped I would die, but I'm here to tell you, I have God's view on evil. My view on evil is God's view, which is this. It doesn't matter how evil the world is. It doesn't matter what other people do to you. God says, I will turn it into good. God's view. If you're going to reconcile, you, it's okay to acknowledge, you know what such and such said to me? It sucked. They shouldn't have said that. They did hurt me. But I have a different view. I believe that if I get my attitude in line here, we can change this relationship by the way I view it took God's view. Don't take God's seat. Take God's view. And lastly today, by the way, we continue to live in a world that seems to get a bit darker. But I, I'm here to tell you today, God's not controlled by it. God is capable of doing amazingly good things despite the world we live in. And we can be overwhelmed by this world. I mean, if you think life is good, God is good, if that's your theology, God is good, therefore life is good. I'm devoted to God, therefore good things will always happen. Just read Job. I mean, I know you don't. I don't read Job. I mean, I think, oh, one day when I'm feeling well, I'll, you know, when I'm feeling healthy and positive, I'll just read Job. No, I'm not. No, no. I don't read Job. I read it once, I get it. Life, life's cruel, unfair. I get it. I'm not, yeah. Scarred me. The book of Job has scarred my life. Read it once, move on. But here's what we know. Despite all that, God still works it all for good. You need to know that about your life today. Lolly Christianity. 
the third one and we're finished. Genesis 50, 21. Don't be afraid. I will continue to take care of you and your children. So he reassured them by speaking kindly to them. Here's the third thing. And you need to do the first two to have this, to be able to do this, is Joseph models God's love. Don't take the seed of God. Take the view of God. When you do those two things, you can authentically model the love of God. He said, I will look after you. I will use the power I have to make your life better. I will ensure not just brothers that you are okay and looked after. I will make sure that your kids are okay as well. I will make sure, according to God's love, that the generations of your household will be fine because I've recognized I'm not God. I'm not here to punish you. I'm not here to give you what you gave me. I'm not here to return the favor. I'm actually here to accept you, to love you, and to do what the Bible says, which is make your enemies into your, those that you love and those that you pray for. I wonder today, See, because Jesus was the ultimate Joseph, if you like. I mean, more than Joseph, Jesus, who was himself God or king, who had the right to sit in the seat, he stepped out of the seat himself and became love for all of us. Jesus was the ultimate. He could have returned the favour of those that spat on, betrayed, walked away from said things they should never then ultimately crucified him he could have should have played God because he was but he didn't he chose the higher path and I want you to know today at two levels there's two things I'm going to say number one do you know of the outstanding mercy that has been extended to you today that you might become a follower of Christ Do you understand how you and I should get what we deserve? But Jesus himself took all of that sin, guilt, shame, punishment upon himself on our behalf so that you today could live free by faith, by the way, not by good actions, not by being a nice person through through faith in Jesus, but more importantly today, because you and I have been called to be ministers of reconciliation. Who? I'm going to say it. Who is God calling you to reconcile to? And today, I didn't make it easy for you, but I did give you some steps. I didn't say, I'm not saying today that that path forward is going to be good for you, but I did say this. If you could be willing to get off the seat, if you could, I think this one's important. If you could be willing to see, it, it's impossible. It's impossible to reconcile from this chair. You know, maybe today, maybe today, probably hope so. Some of you reacted to us celebrating NADOC. Maybe today. Get off the seat. It's not your place to sit on the seat. You know, one of the things I've learned working with our Indigenous people over the time, I was the guy for many years, middle, middle, middle-aged white guy. My view of Indigenous history was this. And then I realized something, if I, could be a, if I could partake in reconciliation, in other words, I could understand their plight. If I could acknowledge, though I didn't live there, my generation did do something that was offensive, brutal to their generation. But if I could at least acknowledge my part in it, then I've taken a step forward in reconciliation. It requires both. 
to come to the center. And guess what? We get to do that because God is our God. We couldn't do it if we tried to do it naturally or force ourselves, but because God is who He is, we get to reconcile in all sorts of places. I want to pray for you. Why don't you stand this morning? Well, Father, I just thank you. All of us living different lives here today. Lord, not a message today of judgment. Who am I, Lord, to judge? But Lord, here's what we don't want to do, Lord. I pray today. I'm inviting your Holy Spirit, Lord. If we have sat on your seat, I ask you, Lord, would you forgive us today? If we spend more time judging than we do reconciling. Lord, we just throw out statements and phrases that just shut down relationships rather than keep them open. Lord, really, I pray, would you help us, Lord, be ministers of reconciliation? Let it be the thing that causes us, your church, to stand out in this world. Reconcile us. I pray for those who know ahead of them are difficult relationships. I pray, Lord, that you give them the strength today to take steps towards that which you've asked them to do. Lord, I pray lastly of all, any of those today who have not made a decision to follow you, I pray today that you would help them. I pray today, God, that you would strengthen them. I pray, Lord, that they would invite you in as their Lord and Saviour. Lord, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. Please connect with us at a differentlight.com.au or join us at one of our Sunday gatherings.